Well, good morning again. My name is Tim, and I'm the pastor here, and it is a, a privilege to, to be here with you. We are um, today going to talk a little bit about baptism. So to be honest, it's a little more of a teaching-type message than it is a preaching-type message as we kind of explore some of the, the answers to typical questions and differences and ways and what baptism is, why any of us need to be baptized who should be baptized, when to be baptized, and all of these kind of questions that kind of connect to that as we go to Scripture. <clears throat> so uh, um, there really are just all different kinds of ways when we come to this. There are those who will sprinkle. They sprinkle a little water on, <clears throat> especially an infant, or they'll pour, right? will pour water onto someone as baptism. Um, there is the the most well-known way of dunking, or what is more officially called immersion, but it's dunking. You just put them under there. If you don't like them, you hold them a little longer, get a little cleaner, pull them back up. All very symbolic. And then I think, I remember I remember that there are places where they'll say it's time to remember your baptism, and they'll take like some hyssop and dip it in water and like shake it at people, or they have a wand with a ball of water on the end, and they'll shake it at people, and you remember your baptism as you get wet. Then you think about in Acts, when they're baptized 3,000 in a town that has no running water in and of itself, there might have been some pools, I don't know, maybe they had like a hose for that many people, and they were just spraying people down. I don't, I don't know how they did that. Um, there are those who baptize infants, those who baptize children, those who only baptize you if you're at least 12 years old and you can publicly describe what the decision was that you're making. There, there's all kinds of different understandings. There are groups that will baptize you again if you weren't baptized in their group because it probably wasn't a real baptism unless it's in their group. And then if you're not baptized in their group, then you can't take communion with their group. I mean, you can come and hang out with their group, but you can't do those important things, right? So there's all kinds of ways that we look at this. But the key thing is that baptism has been a central practice to Christian faith, to Christian religion from the very beginning. It has been a part of how we encounter God how we come together as the church, you know the crazy thing is, it's almost not mentioned in the four Gospels, the four narratives, the four stories of Jesus' life. It's only there 16 times, and most of them are repetitions of the same story. We find in the Gospel a few or three things in particular when it comes to baptism. The first is we find the baptism of John the Baptist. Right, John is the cousin of Jesus, and he feels as though God has called him, the Spirit calls him to lead the way, to prepare the way for Jesus to come and teach about the kingdom of God. And so he is taking this calling very seriously. He, uh, he lives kind of on the edge of town. They call it the wilderness, the desert area. He's known as someone who wears kind of rough animal skin clothes. He's known as someone who, whose diet consists often of bugs and honey, locusts and honey. Uh, so, you know, he was, he was a kind of wild man. Who knows quite exactly what he looked like. We can hear in his, his sermons in the Gospels. And he often takes this adversarial tone. 
right? So preachers tend to take either uh, the tone of an advocate, someone here to help you, or an adversary, someone here to correct you. John was an adversary through and through. He's yelling, he's screaming, he's calling people out for their sin. He's calling out God's people for not acting like God's people and telling them, you need to be baptized and start living right. Here's the crazy thing. So in this time and culture, baptism is not brand new. It didn't start with John the Baptist. I don't know that anybody there called him John the Baptist, so which is what we do. But John the Baptist didn't start baptism. It was a part of Jewish faith for a long time. And the way that baptism worked, it was for Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish. And they would go into the water and they would wash off their non-Jewishness and be brought back as Jews. And they would be considered a part of the Jewish faith and people of God after having been baptized. They're kind of washing all that sin, washing all of that brokenness, washing all of this not-Jewishness off. So then you have John the Baptist who starts talking to Jews, starts talking to God's people and says, you need to be baptized. And it is so offensive. Why in the world would I need to be baptized? I was born one of God's people. He says, no, 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 that doesn't matter. You need to be living in God's ways. How you live is more important than to whom and where you were born. He says, you need to be baptized. And they were coming in droves. There's something about us that, that, that craves that correction and direction. right? And he provided God's people a way to be God's people again. And he calls them out, calls out sin, calls out all of the stuff that breaks us and separates us from other people. And he says, this is getting in the way of your relationship with God. And you need to be baptized and start living in righteousness or right relationship. So he's doing this. It's scandalous. It's crazy. The religious leaders think think he's nuts. And we talked a little bit about this second one. So we have John's baptism happening and all kinds of people are being baptized. and, And he's teaching to live in a different way. And one day through the crowd walks Jesus. We've talked a little bit about this in that last series of obscurity, that it's the beginning of this turning point, this hinge moment in the life of Jesus between his 30 years of obscurity and three years of public ministry. And he walks through the crowd and he chooses to be baptized. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, we could find the story there. It's his very first public act. So he walks out of the crowd. And he comes up to John and says, hey, baptize me, cousin. He says, no, I don't think so. I I don't think so. This is not how it works. Right? He says, you should baptize me. I know who you are. In fact, before he he gets to it, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, the one whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He knows who Jesus is. He knows he is pure. He knows he is holy. He knows he is sinless. The Messiah of God. And yet... He comes to John and says, hey, baptize me. He's like, I, I don't think so. We've got this backwards. You should baptize me. And Jesus does this very radical thing. And sometimes we miss it. In this very first public act of Jesus, he embraces us. He embraces sinful humanity. 
He embraces the broken people. He becomes and reminds us that he is one of us. And he shows us the way forward by being baptized. He has no need for baptism, but he knows we do. He has no need for baptism, but he knows we do. So he goes first. He embraces us. He says, these are my brothers and my sisters. I am one of them, and it's my job to show the way. And he embraces us, and he embraces people, and he submits himself to being baptized, even though he didn't need it. He's baptized for us. He sets that example of obedience and trust and yielding, because that's what it is. Right? When we hear this wooing of God, when we see this instruction of God, will we yield our will to His? Will we trust Him enough to do what He asks us to do? Will we obey Him or will we go it our own way? It was the whole culmination of that obscurity series, right? Who has authority in my life? Who has authority in my life? And Jesus says, follow me into the water. That's where we can put to death all of this stuff That has been holding you back from becoming who I created you to be. And you can find life again. You can find forgiveness. You can find the new beginning. Because our Father will meet us there. And I'll show you the way. The third way that we see it in the Gospels is as Jesus instructs baptism. Right? So we have John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus submits himself to baptism. And then at the very end of Matthew. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we read these words. Therefore, he's talking to his disciples, which would be any followers then or now. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus, at the end of his time on earth, at the end of his ministry, at the end of all of the things that he was doing, teaching and preaching and healing and serving, after having given his life to to give life to humanity, after being raised from the dead, he gives his disciples a charge. Go and make disciples. It's the job of every believer. It's the responsibility of every believer to partner together in going and making disciples. Go and make disciples. Well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. So, well, here's, here's how you do it. You're my witnesses. Right? Teach them, these new disciples, to obey all the commands I've given you. So we baptize and teach. So I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to witness. I don't know, what, what is this? Be my witness. Well, it's, it's really pretty simple. There's just three parts to the story. I was like this. And I met Jesus... And now I'm like this. At least I'm trying to be. Really? That's it. And it can come up at any given time, in any given moment, in any given conversation. And it doesn't have to be this abrupt or like, hey, this is what you need kind of thing. But more, you know, I can really relate to that. There was this time in my life when I was so broken and so beat up. I lived by fear and I didn't know what to do. And then... You know, from some with some friends as well. I just encountered Jesus, and I, and I know it may seem a little crazy, but in His love, I found freedom from that fear. I found a way to live by hope instead of fear. If you if you ever want to talk about it, I'd be glad to answer your question. Talk to you more about it. It's really pretty 
simple. And I don't always get it right, but I'm still fighting that fear. You know, this, this kind of humility and just ability to, to just, these are the three things. And he said, well, how are we going to do that? Jesus said, well, because I'm with you. Always, to the end of the age. I'm with you wherever you go, in every moment, I'm in you, I'm with you. But a piece of this is two things, baptize and teach. Baptize and teach. Baptize and show people to do what I did. Baptize and teach. So baptism is an instruction of Jesus. It's something the church does to us and for us more than it is something we do. Right? The disciples baptize the new disciples. It's, a, it's this moment when things begin to change. The first disciples took this instruction very seriously. The church today hasn't taken it nearly as seriously. I don't know how many sermons I've heard on you don't need to be baptized to go to heaven, which I was explaining just a minute, it's just the wrong question altogether, right? And, and we'll say, well, you don't need to be baptized to go to, go to heaven. Well, Jesus, like, put it in the one big instruction, so it's got to be kind of important. And the early church, they took it seriously. So seriously that when we find that, um, we find in Acts, as, as Peter is teaching, right, there, there in the beginning of Acts, it's the, the Holy Spirit has come in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit's come. Peter gets up and he preaches, and he preaches like John the Baptist. He says, Jesus walked among you. He did what was right and good, and you killed him for it. He didn't even say, like, you submitted to be killed. You turned him in. You're traitors. He just said, you killed him for it. His blood is on your hands. And it said they were cut to the quick. They were cut to the very core. And they said, what do we do? What do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And receive the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people that day said, okay, I'm in. Repented, turned around. So that's no longer who I want to be. And they were baptized and received the Holy Spirit. It keeps going throughout the book of Acts. In fact, 19 different times in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, we find people being baptized. One of my favorite is in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, there's this story of a man, an Ethiopian man, who is reading the book of Isaiah as he is riding along in the chariot. And he's wondering what to do. And Philip appears out of nowhere with him. you got to love those stories, right? There's got to be a favorite. He appears and starts explaining to him what the book says. And they're driving along in the chariot, and they look over, and there's water on the side of the road. I don't know if it's a mud puddle. I mean, they're in the desert, so maybe it's an oasis. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it was. But he said, there's enough water to be baptized. Why shouldn't I be baptized right now? And they get out of the chariot. Philip baptizes him, ducks him under, lifts him up, and disappears again. That's a baptism you will never forget. And no one will ever believe. Like, you may have to go do it again somewhere else just so somebody would believe you were actually baptized. Like, no, it was Philip. Really? No, I don't know. I don't know about that. Acts chapter 10, all right, is, is, this, is this whole weird one. So in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a Roman leader, a Gentile, 
He sends for Peter. And you think, well, yeah, what's the big deal? Well, Jews didn't stay with Gentiles. But he comes and he, and he like, wouldn't even go in their house. But he goes in. And there, while he is there, he's on the roof praying and he has a dream. It's my favorite dream in all of Scripture. There's lots of favorites in this. Favorite dream in all of Scripture. He's praying. God lowers the sheet, shows him all the different animals, said, eat whatever you want now. It's all good. I've given you all of it. And every person who's not a vegetarian says, amen, hallelujah. Right? Listen, we're in Eastern North Carolina. If we were followers of God then, we wouldn't get to eat pig. Mark off your bacon, your pig picking, all that kind of stuff. Now we do. Good dream. Favorite moment. But it meant something more than we get to eat pig now. Right? It meant something more. God was trying to show to Peter that everyone gets to be a part of the family of God. Regardless of where they were born, whether they are Jew or Gentile. And so this weird thing happens. Because remember in, in the beginning it says, repent, be baptized, receive the Spirit. It's an order. We like equations in our minds and in religion. You do this, you do this, you do this, you get this. But then this weird thing happens. Cornelius believes, he repents. And then he receives the Holy Spirit. And Peter looks at his friends and says, look, they clearly have the Holy Spirit. What in the world are we doing not baptizing them? Why would we? Did you get this? First, the Jews didn't want to be baptized because only Gentiles should be baptized. Now, they're like, no, this is our thing. We're not baptizing Gentiles. This is only for Jews. And, and yet here God's like, wait, wait, wait. It was always for everybody. He says, Okay. There's no reason we shouldn't. They've received the Holy Spirit. And it just messes up the whole equation. Do you repent first and then get the Spirit or baptism? How, what, what is happening? I love it because he's just saying there's no equation. There's no formula. I'm the Holy Spirit. I blow where I want to go. I go where I want to go. I do it the way I want to do it. You just try to keep up. Right? Put the pieces together. I don't care how they come together. Get them together. And so, he, so they, re, they repent, they receive the Spirit, and, and then they're baptized. And here's the thing, the whole family is baptized. The whole household is baptized. And this is the way it worked in that time. Like, if Dad decided that he was a follower of Jesus, everybody in the house was now followers of Jesus. From the youngest to the oldest. And they would baptize them all. They would baptize Grandpa, they would baptize Grandma, they would baptize uh, Ned was there they would baptize servants and slaves they would baptize the children and the infants everyone in the house would be baptized and that's what happened everybody in the household was baptized here in acts chapter 10 and then there's Acts 16 and this woman lydia believes and is immediately baptized acts chapter 18 many believe and are baptized and i love it there's really this no clear pattern, equation, or even explanation in the book of Acts. It's like they are supposed to already know how this works, why it works, what it matters, and all of that kind of stuff. Like, just this is what we do. Jesus said do it, so we do it. He's the one who said, I'm going to die and come back, and actually pulled it off. So if he says do it, we, we, we do it. Hey, we figure he knows something the rest of us don't. And so they did. 
But as we keep reading in Scripture, we find that the people of God began to explain it a little bit. It's in Romans next. We've kind of worked our way through Gospels, through Acts. Now, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, you can turn there if you'd like. Verses 1 through 4. So he's just described that where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So where we are broken and bad, that God continues to pour out grace and forgiveness. And so he kind of assumes the next question in verse 1 of chapter 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God shows us more and more of his wonderful grace? You know, like, should we presume upon God's grace? I mean, can't we just do it every want? He'll forgive us. Like, as long as we make it to being able to say, I'm sorry, we're good. His response is, of course not. It's actually not, of course not, in Greek. It's meganoita in Greek, which means hell no. No, literally, like it means hell no. It's in the Bible. Paul is saying no with as much force as he can. He says, no, you've died to sin. That's not a part of who you are anymore. Doesn't mean you don't mess up. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean you don't occasionally sin. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with it. But it's not who you are. It doesn't own you. That has died in you. So why would we continue to live in it? Why would we continue to do what we know displeases God, hurts ourselves, and hurts others? If we've really come to him, if we've really received his grace, why would we intentionally do everything in our power to keep doing whatever we want Instead of what he wants. He says, no, that's dead in you. Verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we were joined him, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Do you see what's happening? He's describing, explaining baptism for one of the very first times that we find in Scripture. He's explaining it. Here's what happens when you're baptized. That sin part of you, this ownership, this slavery to sin and fear and death is lowered down into the water as if lowered into the grave. A sign and symbol of being lowered into the grave, of being killed, and this New life begins as you were raised up. Just as new life began in Jesus. Just as he overcame death. When we join him in baptism, we are joining in his resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus to new life raises us to new life. Something radical is happening in the water. Yes, it's just water. It's just water. But there is something mysterious and sacred that happens in this water. I've seen it too many times to to think that it's just a symbol, just an outward mark of an interchange. I've watched as some of you, your lives are very different before the baptism and after the baptism. You don't believe any more or less. You just acted on that belief and obedience and opened more of yourself up to the spirit in a way that he owned you more And you followed him more. I don't know why it works. I don't know how to explain it beyond. There is this mystery in which we engage in the death 
of our sin and old selves and receive new life in baptism. Some of us, we like to keep crawling back in that grave for some unknown reason. And part of our nature, we crawl back in that grave. He says, no, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You died to that. Get out of that grave. You have within you the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It raised you from the dead. Go and live in it. Something happens in the water. Something happens in this act of obedience. It is a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. Every symbol is more than a symbol. My ring is a symbol of my marriage, but it's more than just a symbol. Right? The cross is a symbol, but it's more than just a symbol. Symbols matter. They mark us. They help us to understand ourselves. We see it continued. Paul again in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, 26 to 29. Love this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not by our works, not by our efforts, not by anything we do, not even by our, our action, but by faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Through faith, we are made children of God. By baptism, we are brought into his family. It is like signing the adoption papers. It is this moment that, that is the sign and the symbol and the finalizing of what's already become true in life. Right? By the time you get to the place of signing those papers, those kids are already yours. Right? You're already his, but this is just that sign and symbol This says, these are mine. These are mine. These are my children. And they are united together as one family. I love this. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying that all of the things that divided you. right? This is what divides us most. It divided them then. It divides us now. Gender, race, and economics. It's what divides our society apart. It's where we get split up from other people. And he says, in Christ, having been baptized, those boundaries and barriers are raised. You are one family, united together as one, fighting together, living together, serving together, working it out together now and always. Because you are my children. You are all my children. You have all received this grace, all been made new, and the promises are yours. Everyone brought into family. It's this threshold moment. This moment you look back on. This mark in, the, in, in your life. This stake in the sand. Whatever terminology or metaphor you want to use to help you understand it. This is a moment when things change. When we walk through a door into a new home. Into a new family. Into a new embrace. And there's something mysterious about it. Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. He said, There were those who disobeyed God long ago when they waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. He's talking about back, back Genesis 3. 
There was a time people were, were, were disobeying God. The world was, was broken and needed to cleanse it. Noah was building a boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And this is really interesting, verse 21. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective because of the resurrection of Christ. Something happens because of the resurrection. It's more than just water because of the resurrection of Christ. It is that sign and symbol of having been cleansed and made new. Just as, as um, the story of Noah is a sign and symbol of, of the world being cleansed and set on a new path, bringing new life and new beginning, that we, as we are baptized, are receiving that new beginning, that new life, having been cleaned in our very conscience to the very core of who we are. And so the wrong question is, do I need to be baptized to go to heaven? Do I have to be baptized? Is this something I need to do? The right question, is this something Jesus wants me to do? Right? Isn't that our question all the time? What is it God is asking me to do? Do I have the courage to do it? And then we come together and say, how can we help each other? The right question, is this something that Jesus wants us to do? See, baptism is uniting with Christ. It is this praxis of the church by which one is symbolically marked and cleansed as a part of the, the family of Jesus. It's a way of opening more of ourselves up to him in obedience. As long as we disobey him, we're closing ourselves off to him. Right? Jesus instructed it. Either we obey or we disobey. Every time we disobey, it makes it easier to disobey. Every time we obey, it makes it easier to obey. We walk more closely to him. So in some ways, there's not as much mystery as there may seem. The more and more obedient we are, the easier it is to live together. Who should be baptized? Well, every person who believes in Jesus is willing to submit to his authority. Everyone who would say, Jesus is Lord. Everyone who would say, Jesus, you're in charge of me. I know it's by your way that anything I've done is forgiven. And it's by your way that I have new life. Now you can ask, them, well, who else? There is room in Scripture for, for the baptism, even of our infants, as being marked in the family of God. Within um, our tribe of believers, we have both what's called believer's baptism, anyone who believes is baptized, and infant baptism. Now, in at Hydrant, we tend to practice an infant dedication, where we dedicate our children to, to dedicate them to the Lord, dedicate ourselves to raising them in the Lord, and then let them make the decision to be baptized as they become followers and choose that life for themselves. The reason we do that is because within our tribe, we also don't have good confirmation practices. So within those traditions, the way it works is that there would be uh, an, a child is baptized as an infant and, chooses, and, and their family chooses to mark them as a part of the family of God, much the way an infant was circumcised. Same kind of mark. And so they're marked as belonging to the family of God. Around the age of 12, they would learn what it is to be a part of the family of God and would confirm or deny that baptism themselves. 
There's a practice of confirmation. Within our Wesleyan tribe, we don't have great confirmation, so we don't tend to do as many infant baptisms. So if you have more questions about that, I can answer those later. Why should we be baptized? What's the instruction of Jesus? It's the instruction of Jesus. He modeled it. He called it to called us to it and instructed it of us. And because we're grateful for what Jesus has done in our lives, and we want to submit ourselves to him in whatever way possible, and this sign and symbol of being marked, of, 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 of being lowered in to death and raised, when should we be baptized? Well, by way of the example of the church in Acts, as soon as possible. Again, the first available opportunity. I mean, Philip and the Ethiopians stopped at a mud puddle on the side of the road. Or maybe if you're in North Carolina, it's like a creek or something. Like, it is just that ditch. They got in the water wherever they could find water. Well, how should we be baptized? I, I don't know. It's unlikely that everyone who was baptized in the New Testament was baptized the same way. There's this document called the Didache. It's from the first century. It, the, the conviction, the belief is that the apostles contributed to the writing of this document with instructions on the basics of the church. The like gave us instructions for how to pay a pastor or someone who is a traveling teacher. Um, it's, it's called the Didache. And here's what the early church leaders said about baptism. And concerning baptize, baptism, baptize this way. Having first said all these things, baptize into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we get that. We baptize not just in Jesus' name or not just in God's name, but in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's according to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, And do it in living water if you can. That means moving water. But he says this. If you don't have living water, baptize into other water. And if you can, use cold water. But if not cold water, warm. But if you've got neither of those, pour water thrice upon the head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So basically what we hear is, get them wet. Get wet. What, if you've got cold water, use cold water, which is why we always baptize in cold water. And it's really fun. Because <laughs> I don't actually have to get in it most of the time anymore. <laughs> So we baptize in cold water if we can. If not, then we use warm. If we can get you underwater, we get you underwater. If we can't, we'll pour it. If we can't do that, we'll hit you with a hose three times. We're going to do whatever we have to do. When it's time to be baptized, we get you wet in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is that sign and symbol of what God does in us. It says, but before the baptism, let the baptizer fast. And the baptized, and whatever others can, but you shall Order the baptized to fast one or two days before. Now, we don't see this part as clear in Scripture. It seems to be a practice that was dedicated and developed later. So here at Hydrant, we encourage it. We don't demand it. We don't ask, did you, fa- did you fast the last 24 hours? If not, we're not going to do this. We're going to do that. The key is two things. Obedience and water. <laughs> Obedience and water. We, we obey both the example and instruction of Jesus, and we do it in water. Like, we're not going to use tea. I know some of you would rather be sweet tea 
or, or, or gravy or guacamole or something, but it's, it's water. Always water. Obedience and water. What do we do here? So on, on, April, on April 14th, Palm Sunday, as we prepare for Easter and Holy Week, in between the two services, we'll meet outside in the, in the front part of our, our building. We'll have chairs set up out there. And we have a party, cupcakes and celebration, and we'll baptize all those who are ready to be baptized. And we'll have a watering trough because that's what we, that's what we have. And um, we'll fill it up with cold water, and, um, and then we will, one by one, baptize those who are ready. And they have a choice. They can either... If you're being baptized, you can either share the story of, of how you come to this moment and why you want to be baptized. And we'll ask questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the one who saves you, that he is your Lord, is that your desire to follow him to the best of your ability for the rest of your life? And they can answer those questions, and we will, we will help them to hold their nose. We'll lower them under the water, and we'll lift them up, and we'll say, we baptize you, whatever the name is, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone will cheer and clap. And we'll give them a towel, and then we'll give them a cupcake, and we'll have a gift, a Bible for them. Because you've got to have a cupcake, right? It's celebration. And, um, and we'll celebrate, and we'll have service on either side of that as well um, that morning. Now, we do things a little different. So um, technically, within most denominations, you have to be ordained as a pastor to baptize. But... Jesus told every disciple to go and baptize. And so if someone is being baptized and there is a family member or a friend that was very, um, very influential in their decision to follow Jesus, then we invite them to come and help. And even I'll just stand back and, and oversee so that we officially are still within boundaries. But, but we are called to baptize one another. Parents are invited to be a part of the baptism of their children as much as they want. Like, they can be right down there with me, lowering them in the water. Pastor Liz can baptize children. They'll teach it there, so your kids may ask you about it. Um, we do get parents' permission before we baptize children. But um, that, that's the, the basics of it. So the real heart of the issue is two questions. Right? Two questions. Do you believe... Do you believe? Do you believe the story of Jesus? The life of Jesus? The way of Jesus? Do you believe? Jesus said to all those who believe. He also said those who would say that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Is Jesus... I don't know any other way to put it. In charge of your life. Do you believe? Have you recognized that apart from him, life keeps falling apart? regardless of our efforts, we keep breaking it with our, what, what the Bible calls sin. We keep breaking and hurting others, hurting ourselves and wondering how we ended up here. And Jesus shows up in our world, in our flesh, and walks our life, faces our temptations, and overcomes them. His death on a cross is the death we deserve, and we get to participate vicariously through baptism and be cleansed and given new life, made right with God with hope for this life and into eternity. Do you believe? 
Is that who you are? Is that what guides your life? Is it what you want to guide your life? It begins in this decision to repent, to say, okay, my life has been run my way pretty much the whole time. And, and I keep ending up at these roadblocks and these pits. I keep ending up in this pain and in this brokenness. And some things work and some things seem all right. But at the core, there is this empty, this hollow, this just isn't right. Something is missing. And Jesus says, why don't you follow me? And we'll try this a different way. And to believe is to say, okay, Jesus, we'll do this your way. I'll do what you ask me to do. Would you give me courage? Would you give me people to help? Would you give me your spirit to help? And I'll do my best. I'll trust you. I'll follow in your way. Do you believe? If you believe, do you need to be baptized? Is it your time? Do you feel God saying it's time? Now for some of us, we do something here because just the dynamic of Hydrant Church is we meet a lot of people who have given up on God, who have given up on church, who have given up on faith, who have wandered off for a season of life and they've come back. And so we, we, we kind of remember baptism and we'll lower you into the water and we'll say, we remember your baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's this mark again of like, this is my life from this day forward. I may have, I may have had this as a child. I may have, have followed him for a while and I've been doing it my own way. But from this day forward, I'm his. That life is dead and I am new in him. If that's where you are, talk to us. We're going to pray in just a moment. If you would um, throw up the image uh, with the phone number on the screen as people are leaving in just a moment. After I pray, if you need to be baptized, just text it to the number and tell us, and I'll follow up with you. If you forget the number, you don't have it, whatever, like you can message me, you can email me, you can call me, but don't let the moment pass. April 14th may be your day. We started the list, as I told you the story last week, of a young man who almost let the moment pass. He was sitting back there toward the back as, as men and women came and kneeled and said, Jesus, you're in charge. And everything in him wanted to get up, but he just wouldn't. And he messaged us later that night and said, can we talk? We set up a time with him. Anita and I with him and his wife and we talked we answered questions and we prayed there in my office and Jesus is in charge of his life and everything will be different from this day forward things will be different for his marriage for his children for his grandchildren who aren't even imagined yet and he's the first one on the list to be baptized maybe you need to be the second do you believe is it your time let's pray